0: Welcome to The Compound and Friends. Today's episode, an all-new edition of What Are Your Thoughts? with myself, Downtown Josh Brown, and my co-host, Michael Batnick. We get into a lot of stuff about earnings on this particular episode. Uh, This is the start of earnings season for the second quarter. This is expected to be the third consecutive quarter of year-over-year negative earnings. Uh, Last quarter, the earnings expectations were low, But U.S. companies found levers to pull. They exceeded those expectations, and the stock market proceeded to go on a rampage to the upside. I don't know that that will definitely be the case this time, but uh, we preview some of the stuff that you're just going to want to be aware of as these reports start to come out at the end of this week. We also look at the IPO market. We look at – whole bunch of fun stuff. Hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. And with that, I'll have my engineer, John, take it away.
1: Thanks for listening to What Are Your Thoughts? All opinions expressed by Michael Batnick and Josh Brown are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: All right, gangsters. Let me see who's in the ch- Let me see who's in the chat tonight. Michael Skyros is here. Uh, MD is here. Jay Luther. Roger's here, Sean is here, the whole gang. We love when you guys come out for the live, thank you. Bob Sacamano, how are you, my friend? Midwest Cooking is here. Midwest Cannabis? Yeah, Midwest Cannabis. All right, hey guys, it's another all new episode of What Are Your Thoughts? The best investing show live on YouTube where we don't do uh, Home Alone faces in the thumbnails to trick people into watching. You guys are coming to this show every week. Uh, a lot of you guys are coming live. We know that you guys know how hard we work to make sure that the time we all spend together is informationally nutritious. I'm here with my co-host, as usual, Michael Batnick. Michael, say hello to the people. Hello, hello. Is that your real handle on Mastodon? Yep. Is it? It's, it's are you popping a- off. Are you mm. active on
1: Mastodon? Uh, no, I don't Mastodon. I Mastodon you don't.
0: Okay, good for you. Uh all right, let's do uh we have a sponsor tonight. Let's talk about public. Tell people uh tell people what's going on.
1: So money market funds yield mm. like four six, which is phenomenal, not complaining. But six month, six month treasuries, higher. Like what, a point what is higher. It now? Is it five and a half. Look and did you know that the market is now expecting the Fed to unpause? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, unpause. Unpause.
0: Going again. Okay. So could we conceivably see a six-month treasury rate close to 6% at some point this year, this it's, calendar it's, year? It,
1: it's close right now.
0: It's close right now. Uh, so I, bu- I buy treasuries I've, on uh,
1: on the public app. I've got money it's, in motion, money in transfer. It's, okay. uh, it's six months, so I'm in the higher for longer camp. So we'll see. It's pretty easy. I just send money from my bank, which is paying me
0: nothing. Uh, thanks, Chase. Uh, I send it to my public app. It's as easy as sending a Venmo. And uh, within seconds, the transaction is done, and I'm earning 5.5%. So if you guys haven't checked out public, look at the link below the show. Okay, Uh, action-packed tonight. It's a very big week. Busy Um, show. It's a busy show. Let's get into the first thing, which is inflation. Uh, It's Tuesday night as we're taping this, and tomorrow morning we're going to get CPI for the month of June Uh, investors are currently, Wait, Josh,
1: wait, wait, sorry to cut you off. Hang tight. Didn't you want to show something? I mean, I'm in the doc. I'm looking at it. It says image pulled ready to show. Oh, John, can
0: you, can you put this up? I got a little treat for Michael. This, I thought this (laughs) is, I thought this is pretty good. This professor Galloway calls, uh, threads, the spite app. I love it, Uh, it's perfect. He's got Larry David in front of his Spite store, the coffee shop. Mocha Joe's, next to Mocha Joe's, yeah, I love it. Shout out, uh, shout out Professor Galloway. Pretty good, uh, pretty good thread. Okay, Uh, let's get into inflation. So according to the CMA, investors are pricing at a 93% chance that the Fed raises rates this month, which will be toward the end of July, and a 40% chance of at least two more quarter, quarter, quarter of a point rate hikes. Um, Wall Street economists are looking for 3.1% June inflation when CPI comes out on Wednesday. Um, That is a slowdown from the 4% rise we got in May. May's data was actually the slowest year over year inflation reading since April of 21. Um, So if you look at this month over month, the consensus expectation is for 0.3. I saw Goldman come out with something uh, today to that effect as well.
1: Can I ask um, a question? Yeah. So last time they hiked, was that was that May? May, right? I'm sorry, when they paused, when they announced that they were pausing. That was that May. Was, that, was the, that was the May meeting. So they said that they were going to wait and see because mm-hmm. these rate hikes impact the economy with a lag. Yeah. Since then, inflation continues to come down. What changed in the last 60 days? I think the labor report- I think the labor report, it's
0: it's still showing job growth. And while it's true that the pace of wage increases is slowing, it's still rock solid.
1: But why why is a strong labor market and a strong and a decently strong economy with inflation cooling the, a bad thing?
0: Well, look, these expectations that I gave you are as of the Friday, which is And when change got, every day. And they change which, every day. And change every day. But this is yeah. this is the June jobs report. You know, like what else? What else would? What else would? Look, if there was a huge miss in the jobs number, maybe well, but, that would have but, kept them. But there in there was, but. but there
1: was a decent miss. Non-farm payrolls uh, missed for the first time in fifteen months. So there was. A- I th- but I, I think I'm. I'm more
0: talking about wages. Um, on a core basis, CPI is forecast to rise five percent over last year in June. Um, but again, that's a slowdown from five point three percent, which is what we saw in May. Um, so I, look, I think that we're going to get a three, a a low three handle on inflation. Just my best guess. Um, and that seems to be where everyone else's best guess is also, uh, I want to put this up though. Wait, hang on one more thing,
1: not to belabor the point, but didn't they say that the fed has never stopped hiking until the fed funds rate got above inflation and we're well above. We are
0: well above, well above. But not on a year-over-year basis, Michael. What do you mean? I just quoted to you. I just quoted to you that core CPI was five point three percent last month. So now we're at five point five Fed funds rate. So is that Uh, well above
1: five? Five and a quarter.
0: Okay. So like we're, I guess we're. Was would they call that parity? John, put this up, please. This is core personal consumption expenditures price index. This is the PCE that the Fed is set to, said to pay more attention to than CPI. Um, and what you can see here is that the housing component is coming down fairly quickly. And of course, it's still elevated. Nobody's saying it's a great situation, but it is it is absolutely coming down. Um, and I think this is from, I think this is from the journal, quote, uh, the cost of shelter in the CPI was up nearly 8% in May from a year earlier. But a measure of national rents maintained by apartment list was unchanged from mm-hmm. a year ago in June, which is down from year-over-year increases of 14% in June of 2022. So flat versus 14% is a big drop in the rate of inflation in housing. Um, and and I think that that's, you know, we, we talk about the lag effect. It's not just a lag effect in inflation. It's a lag effect in the way inflation is being measured um, and so, if you go by current apartment uh, rental prices, if you were to look at the last few months, you would not conclude that there's a major shelter inflation problem. But again, the Fed is looking at a, a lagging data series, and they're wait they're waiting a year's worth of data, um, and it's maybe not the best approach when you're getting to the tail end of a of a hiking cycle. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It seems like not quite an asset liability mismatch, but it seems like they're measuring things in a funky manner. We're seeing more evidence that inflation is coming down. Used vehicles, which was a hot, hot, hot part of inflation. Yep. Uh, Second largest price decline ever. They fell 10.3%. And they're now in the largest drawdown uh, ever, which is kind of interesting. This is from Liz Saunders. Wait, let me see this. So this
0: is the Mannheim US used vehicle- value index. So this is just the prices that used cars are selling for. Mm-hmm. That looks like a pretty
1: steep drop. Huge. Biggest on uh, record. Going back to 1997. You saw China's CPI came in flat. Obviously, globally, China is a huge driver of global prices. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. It seems to be trending in the right direction. Global surprise, inflation surprise index. I mean, crashing, no really yeah. other way to Look
0: put at it. Look this. this. And this is around the world. Yeah. So the so what this is is the upside surprises in inflation that were freaking everyone out for the last year are now going away and they're actually undershooting the expectations for the first time pretty much everywhere but the US. And but US
1: looks like it's trending in that direction. If I'm Jerome Powell, I don't know that I would spike the football and say my work is done, but I don't know why he would also raise rates as well. Today we learned that the share of U.S. small firms raising prices fell to the lowest level since 2021. Mm. Another pretty big driver of inflation, which is small businesses drive the economy. Mm. Uh, deflationary online goods. John, please, thank you. Uh, online prices have fallen for 10 consecutive months. So wow. uh, wages are still rising. Yeah, there's still places uh, where inflation is is rearing its ugly head, but you know, all in all, pretty good. And interestingly... The options market is expecting a minimal reaction uh, from the stock market. The options market is from the Wall Street Journal is pricing in a 0.6% move for the S&P 500 on Wednesday. That's the smallest expected move around inflation this year. But have the – oh, I guess,
0: yeah, I guess inflation, CPI days, I think, have been more volatile than than FOMC days I, I, th- I think I saw that somewhere sometime during the first half of this year, and I forget over what length of time they were talking about. But CP- CPI days became more important than Fed meeting days because of how much work the Fed has done to basically tell us what, he's about, what they're about to do. So it's really been the variability in the inflation data itself that's moved the market. But so they're saying they, they're not looking for a big move in the S&P. Um, I don't think that they're going to get a big move in the rates market either. Because I like I, I feel like almost no matter what the inflation number is, if it's 2.9 or 3.6, there's a hike either way. What do you
1: think about that? Uh, I would be surprised if there's an upside surprise to inflation. No, I'm saying if there were, do you think like that
0: would have a huge impact in the interest rate market? I don't think it would because I think everyone just knows there's a hike coming.
1: Well, the market is saying that. I mean, look at, look at what it, look at what interest rates have that's, done over the last couple right. of weeks. Anyway, uh, uh, Nick,
0: Nick Tamareos' Tim, article in the journal, basically, um, the last mile of the inflation fight will be the hardest. I'm not 100% sure I agree with that. I think it was much tougher during those months back-to-back where they were doing 75 basis point hikes. I don't think those were easy decisions. I feel like the, this tail end, like, do we do another 25 or maybe not? Those don't seem terribly consequential to me. Like, I don't think they're make or break. So, but I, I mean, that's that's his take. He follows the Fed for a living. I so just, I feel like those were harder.
1: Moving on, Josh, remember the regional bank crisis? Here's Lisa Brown today. There's one clear conclusion from the first half of 2023. March's regional bank crisis did not become an economic crisis as much of Wall Street expected and feared. It didn't materially seem to slow growth or appetite for risk assets. No one even talks much about regional banks these days. True. When's the last time they were in the headlines?
0: How many, if you could quantify, how many dollars approximately did the U.S. public lose as a result of the three banks that went out of business
1: this March? How much did the U.S. public lose? Yeah. What would you guess? Meaning what exactly? I mean, if they deposits, zero dollars in terms zero of do- equity. Zero dollars. No, in terms of <laughs> equity, yeah. The, if you were if a shareholder, <laughs> you got wiped out. All right. Not many people are shareholders in
0: SVB. So the- the, the bottom line is nobody lost any money. The banks lost money. Like the banks that were affected lost money. And, and equity shareholders and bondholders. The big banks, the big banks that actually mattered to the stock market gained uh, as a result of that crisis. So, like, there were, no, there were no victims of that crisis other than the shareholders of these three probably fairly under owned, narrowly owned banks. And that's why there was no impact on the consumer.
1: CJP so. CJP Morgan today, yeah, beasting. 52 52 week high. Yeah, what's uh, up? that that being said, U.S. consumer borrowing did slow to a more than two year low in May, reflecting the first decline in non revolving credit since the onset of the pandemic. A lot of this ha- uh, was driven by by cars, which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, total credit rose 7.2 billion dollars, the smallest advance since November. So, uh, not exactly a credit crunch, but you know. Borrowing did decline for sure. Next chart, please. On top is consumer credit. And on the bottom, you see the red line, which is non-revolving, uh, which is basically the yellow is credit cards. Yeah. So these are the so, thing- the, revol- so th- the the one that's crashing is things like mortgages and student loan payments obviously is in there and, uh, and card payments. The thing that I was worried about during the banking crisis
0: is that there was going to be this larger retrenchment in lending to Main Street businesses. You were worried about a banks. liquidity
1: about a liquidity crunch. Hundred percent. I thought. Uh,
0: I said like that's the the big risk is not that these three banks go down. It's that the next three or four hundred regional banks that are worried about the same issue curtail how much lending they do to you know commercial borrowers to individual borrowers. I I always felt like. That was a real risk, and we somehow got through it um, by, I guess, uh, quarantining these three or four banks that were in trouble. Uh, a couple of them were able to raise capital. A couple of them had to get sold, closed out, and we got through it. But I, I do think that that was the big risk at the, at the time.
1: All right, um, look at look at the look at the charts of these companies that are totally exposed to the U.S. consumer. Capital One looks pretty good. Discover Financial, all U.S. consumer credit risk. Visa close to an all-time high. Mastercard, uh, beasting. So, the consumer's okay, and the consumer drives the economy.
0: Those those stock prices would not be doing that if there were any real concerns about their loan portfolios. Well, now mm-hmm. in the case of Visa and Mastercard, they actually don't make loans. Um, Capital One and Discover are absolutely on the hook for for the people to whom they've issued credit cards. And you just would not be seeing this kind of action if there were concerns.
1: one company that does not look like these four is Ally, which is definitely more exposed to the auto market. So maybe there's something brewing there.
0: Yeah. But this is, again, this is one of those things like, can we see it? Like, can we just see it happen before we panic about it? We're not really seeing a meaningful uptick in delinquencies past 30 days. And until you see that, I really don't know what there is to talk, to talk about. So I agree with you. The consumer is okay, um, and they're spending. And we know that, and we're going to talk about consumer discretionary uh, later in, in tonight's show. Um, but we're about to find out definitively how okay uh, the consumer is.
1: Okay. No, 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 it's at a 52-week high today as well? The IPO ETF.
0: Yeah. Let's get into this. Uh, John, pop this chart. This is from Renaissance. Renaissance is probably the best research shop on the street covering the IPO market, and they are the sponsor of the IPO ETF, which tracks recently public companies. Um, this is their research from this week. In the second quarter of 2023, 23 IPOs raised a combined $6.6 billion. The deal count held steady from the prior year period, um, but quarterly proceeds, so the money that these companies raised by going public, was the highest in six quarters even without the spinoff, the, the IPO spinoff from J&J, which was a $3.8 billion deal that went off without a hitch, there were nine IPOs in the second quarter that raised $100 million or more. Um, there was a pickup in June. And the Cava uh, restaurant chain was probably the big standout deal that most people are aware of. Stock's doing uh, well? Stock is, still, stock is holding up. It was not a pump and dump. Um, what else did I want to say about this? Oh, this quarter's IPOs averaged a modest 3% loss, weighed down by several poor-performing microcaps, though the $100 $100 million-plus deals delivered a strong 20% return from the offer. Uh, And the Renaissance IPO index is actually, I think, outperforming the S&P in the second quarter this year. Do Do I have that right? Uh,
1: I can double check, but it's been on fire. So that would not surprise it's, me. It's,
0: it's been pretty hot lately. Um, anyway, all right. So I think uh, it's up 32% year to date, which obviously is not as good as the NASDAQ, but better than the S&P. Um, so again, the deal count is low, but proceeds are jumping. Um, nine companies raised $100 million or more. Uh, if you pull out the micro cap, uh, shitty companies that went public- you got a twenty percent gain for the bigger ones, Josh. And, actually, uh, actually,
1: as of today, the IPO ETF is up thirty-eight point five percent year to date. It is outperforming the Nasdaq one hundred.
0: Wow! All right, had a monster so, day today. So deals are deals are back, and I think that's why you could have a JP Morgan, uh, for example, hitting a hitting hitting a new fifty-two week high.
1: Interestingly, though, Morgan and Goldman still look kind of trashy. Do they? Yeah, they don't look great at all. You wouldn't buy either one of them. Nope. All right. Let's keep moving. What do you Uh, got? All right. I know this is a big theme, but hey, we go where the market takes us. Big tech dominance. Uh, This is Gunjan Banerjee via Bank of America. All right. Only 23% of stocks outperformed the S&P in May, the lowest of any month in our data history since 1986. You know who this really matters for? Stock pickers. Effectively. If you are not at least equal weight, which is if you're a stock selector, it's large, basically- large cap,
0: large cap fund manager. This, is, this hurts. It's
1: impossible. It's impossible to be equal weight those names. What do you got? a 40% of your portfolio in these names? Um, but interestingly, this was May, okay? And what does this mean for forward returns? Well, what did the market do in June? Now, I know it's only 30 days, but June was the best month for the S&P since October 20, uh, 2022.
0: We talked about this as being a catch up for the rest of the stocks in the market rather than a situation where the- the bull market was ending and there were only a few stocks left still going up and they were about to reverse. And guess what?
1: Even though, even though mega cap tech is on fire and a lot of the value names aren't, so is equal weight tech. John, chart on, please. The equal weight tech is up. What do you want? What do you want? And this is actually, this is from yesterday. So what's it up now? Up 22% year to date. Is that so bad? 22%? All
0: right. So you're looking at, you're looking at the triple Qs are up 38%. The equal weight, uh, the Equal Weight Tech Index is up like 21, 22%. I understand negative divergences. That's not what this is. <laughs> this is just, this, These are both up substantially in the first six months of the year. This is not a this is not a divergence that's worthy of anyone's attention, quite frankly. And I know
1: th- this is a point that JC's made a million times. The time to pay attention to this is when all, most stocks have stopped going up and are going down and it's only a few keeping the market up. That's not this. That's, That's not, not this. this. Uh, next chart, please. Also, this trend has been in place for a decade. This is the Qs. I'm sorry. This is the, the this is the equal weight divided by the Qs. If, if you were inverse, it would, be, it would be going up. But the point is that this has been in motion for a decade. It's, it's nothing new.
0: Larger technology stocks have been outperforming average size technology stocks since 2013. Yeah, I yeah. agree. What's this bad breadth uh, usually mean reverts chart? Uh, we do this? We? i don't think we did this where are we i don't have this um oh you i think you did i think you did put this up this was gungeon's Gungeon share this oh yeah, yeah okay uh what is this what is this saying this is just a percentage of stocks outperforming the the s and
1: yeah i mean yeah, this all is right pretty, this, this is pretty wild
0: it's wild there's not a lot of stocks outperforming the s&p we agree yeah, yeah. um and you know which ones are you know <laughs> you know all the names well, I uh let's do this Jonathan Farrow
1: tweet real quick. All right. Uh this is Barclays. We raised our two thousand twenty-three price target for the SP to forty one fifty from thirty-seven twenty-five, which by the way, where are we right now? I think this is below where we are. Uh yeah. We'll be 4, yeah, S&P's at forty four hundred. Um 4, we think equities would remain range bound through the year end. I do not see the tech centric rally broadening to the rest of the to the rest of SP. Okay.
0: I mean, the the data suggests that he's imminently about to be wrong, the Barclays guy.
1: Well, that's, li- that's literally the, what's going on. The equal weight looks mean. Looks like it's about to break out. The Dow as well, hanging super high. So, you know, tomorrow's a big day. Um, but if stocks go higher, they're going higher. You heard it here first. Right. So we got so
0: with with the dominance of these giant tech stocks, we got news from the Nasdaq uh, 100 index about. They didn't call it this. I'm calling this an emergency rebalance. And these are rare. The NASDAQ 100, just for people, just so people understand, it is market cap weighted, but it's modified market cap weighted. They don't just like set and forget and let the stocks do whatever they want forever. They will make changes. Let me read this. Uh, This is from IBD. The NASDAQ 100 special rebalance will take place before the market open on Monday, July 24th to address over-concentration in the index by redistributing the weights. The NASDAQ has only conducted a special rebalance twice in its history, in December 1998 and May 2011. The seven largest companies in the NASDAQ 100 account for 55% of the index. This combined weighting will be reduced. It's also likely there may be notable relative weighting shifts within these seven giants. Um, so I just want to run through how big they've gotten in the index to prompt the Nasdaq to decide they have to step in and make an adjustment. Microsoft now is twelve point nine percent of the the of the Nasdaq one hundred. Apple twelve and a half percent. Google seven point four weighting between their two share classes that are publicly traded. Nvidia is now seven percent of the Nasdaq one hundred. Um, it's a slightly larger weight than Amazon, which is 6.9%. Nice. And, and these are both obviously now trillion-dollar market cap companies. Tesla and Meta round out the top seven. One is 4.5%, one is 4.3%. And just for reference, for the entire NASDAQ composite, chart off, please, Apple stock had an 11.4% weighting as of July 7th, while Microsoft was at 95 So the NASDAQ composite is the whole universe of Nasdaq traded stocks not just the top 100. Um this is Wells Fargo's analyst uh I think his name is Chris Harvey commenting on what might happen here. Um the upcoming index rebalance is reducing concentration risk but creating uber cap selling pressure and we saw all these stocks down on creating this news. Creating what? Creating what? He he calls these uber caps oh. like mega cap but uber cap like they're cuz they're so big. Um, with Uber, Uber caps overbought, near-term liquidity demands will likely weigh on the group. In 2011, when they did this rebalance last, the names that were downsized ended up lagging by 2 to 3% between the announcement and the event. But the it event all. is next week. I don't think anybody cares. Um, let's see. Oh, 2023's rebalance is driven by Tesla's week-ago rally, causing the constituents... All that's right, enough. it doesn't matter. But... We're living through really interesting times. I asked Sean to make this uh, chart. This is the big seven stocks market cap percentage growth. And we're going back, I don't know, is this three years ish? Mm -hmm. Okay. So look, Nvidia market cap is up 304%. Tesla's up 200%. Apple's up 80% in market cap. Uh, You know, this is the kind of thing where if you're going to have an index, at a certain point, you have to decide where the line is. You have to, you have to draw the line. As of July 10th, chart off-
1: Wait, not uh, true. What do you mean? That's not true at all. The S&P 500 doesn't have to decide anything. They're pure market cap weighted.
0: I think the S&P 500, though, has more sector diversification than the NASDAQ does, which true. could lead to more, more, even more concentration. Um, in July of 2020, the market cap of these seven stocks was $7.1 trillion. Today, it's ten point eight combined. Um, so that's three, they added $3.7 trillion dollars cumulatively, uh, were 52% growth. So they're, they're big. They keep getting bigger. I don't know. What do you, what are your thoughts is the NASDAQ my, doing the responsible thing here? I don't
1: really have thoughts to be honest. And my, my real thought is I'm getting bored it's and I imagine the, 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 the audience the show, is getting though. bored too. We're making, t- no, no, no. We're making, it's too many numbers. Let's move on. Okay. You think it's not going to matter that much in, in the end? Well, what did you just say? The last time this happened, they lagged by 2 to 3%. What are we talking about here? Who cares? Yeah, they're right. big
0: stocks. So so let it be. If you were the index provider, you would say, leave it alone. We'll see what happens?
1: If I was the index provider, I'd probably short them. Let's uh, oh, let's have on. some fun. What do you mean? I don't. Let's go. Let's move on. <laughs> next topic.
0: That's a great take. Okay. What are we doing next? This is oh. yours. Uh, second quarter earnings start on Thursday. Are you scared?
1: Are yes, you they do. Uh, I, well, the stock market has has had an incredible run as we've been discussing. Uh, So expectations for the stocks are strong. However, analyst expectations are pretty weak. So I, I guess I wouldn't be too surprised if you get a scenario where estimates are better than analysts are expecting and stocks struggle. I
0: don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I like the setup. This is uh, Sam Stovall, who's the chief investment strategist for CFRA. Quote, rarely can you injure yourself falling out of a basement window. Um, Adding the only way investors really can be surprised is if earnings come in better than expected. Like the risk is to the upside. Let's pop this chart from, uh, let's pop this chart. This is showing S&P 500 quarterly earnings that change from a year ago. The current estimate is that second quarter, S&P 500 earnings will be down 7.2% versus the same quarter last year. This would be the third consecutive quarter where earnings have fallen year over year. You can go chart off. Um, here's, a, here's, think- a,
1: here's a thought. This please. is interesting. This Investing is hard. So three potential consecutive quarters of year over year earnings per share decline with the Fed aggressively raising rates. Stocks went with, up all three quarters. With regional banks blows up, blow ups. And the S&P yeah. is 7% off its all-time high.
0: Shit is hard. I'd, I think it's worth digging into the why. Why are earnings expected to be down 7.2%? It turns out- Is it from inflation? It's cooling? It turns, it turns out it's it's pretty much all energy. The mm. oil companies are facing difficult comps versus last year- When the price of energy was skyrocketing all throughout 2022, they were posting record earnings and now we're lapping that quarter and the comps are tougher. Um, The consumer discretionary companies are going to report the highest year-over-year growth in earnings this quarter. The estimate, are you ready for this? Is 27% with Amazon being the biggest contributor. That's fact-set data. Um, the energy sector is going to post the biggest profit decline uh, again compared to that booming period of time from last year. Um,
1: well, that's so- a good point. That's a good point. We talk about the the, the S and P 500 as if it's one name. Obviously, it's 500 names with many different sectors. You mentioned the consumer discretionary names are going to be uh, a- busters. So, Gangbusters. this was I don't know. Last quarter we were discussing Home Depot, big gap down. After earnings, right peak peak renovation was behind us. Guess what the stock did last week? Closed the gap.
0: Yeah, how about that? Um, The energy stocks are going to see earnings drop forty eight point three percent from last year. There are not a lot of sectors where that's something that you would see. Like that, that's very much a commodity kind of boom bust uh sector you're not like you're you're not going to see you're not going to see many other sectors have that big of a swing um but that's where the the down 7.2 percent comes from Um, what happens when you strip that out do you have that strip that out it's much when you strip that out it's much better all right here's savita Subramanian from her earnings preview i think she put this out this morning s p 500 second quarter consensus was cut by only two percent since march Ha- that's half of the typical preseason f- 4% cut. And again, uh, it's e- it's energy. So we're looking for the S&P to earn fifty two eighty eight dollars uh, a share. And that would be negative 8% year over year. Um, but she thinks that we're going to see upside surprises. And these are her reasons. Number one, um, the likelihood of a positive macro surprise tracking 94th percentile based on her database. We've just had the highest uh, uh the best upside surprise quarter since the third quarter of 2020 coming out of the pandemic meaning every economic data point was surprising to the upside number 2 we've had the highest ratio of positive to negative corporate guidance since 2021 number 3 improving corporate sentiment um 7 of 11 sectors are going to see better year over year earnings growth this quarter versus q1 uh and s and energy earnings will be flat. You're, so that, that's the answer to your question. So she's looking for a 3% beat. And she's thinking that this is the quarter where we're actually troughing in in earnings expectations. So we have a couple of charts. Love a good we trough. These, we do these quickly. I love a good trough too. This is Q2 earnings per share um, has been cut by 2% in the last three months. And on average, you see double that going into a quarter. Uh, it's the first quarter with a smaller cut in a year now. So in other words, for this particular quarter, the estimates have been coming down for a year. And they really didn't come down that much. And I think that's a testament to all of the upside surprises that we've seen in the economy. Next chart. Energy drove the entire downward revision since March. You see this? I see it. All right. Uh, Next chart. Again, seven of 11 sectors are going to see earnings growth improving this quarter versus uh, the first quarter of the year. And, you know, it's, it's the it's the sectors with the biggest stocks, communication services. Uh, so that's what Netflix, Meta, et cetera. Consumer discretionary, that's Amazon, right? Like you're seeing Wait, it Josh, where it really you matters. Know what's, you know
1: what's important about this? All right, try back on, please. So look at Q1 2022. Yep. That was not a good time. No. And earnings were great. Why? Guidance. Yeah. And so you see Q4, first quarter, stocks are rallying the entire way. Uh, so I think what companies have to say is going to be very, very important, probably more important than the numbers. Are you saying the guidance is going to matter? The guidance matters. I look, uh, look look at this chart from our friends, Nick and Jessica from Datatrack. More S&P companies have pre-released positive earnings than at any point since the post-pandemic bull market. This suggests a good rep- financial reporting season, which starts later this week. So we've got the banks on Friday. This and, is, uh, wait,
0: this is positive pre-announcements versus po- negative.
1: Yep. So positive is the what did they say highest? Uh, it's been the highest in a while.
0: Looks like it's the highest in two years or so. Uh, since oh I three, it, yeah. yeah, since it's twenty-one. A long time. So yeah. there we go. There we go. All right. Um, oh, I wanted to do this thing on the macro data. I want to revisit this really quickly. John, put up that next chart. This is back to Savita. The macro environment in, ch- in the second quarter was much stronger than expected. Uh, despite the banking scare in March, the economy proved more resilient uh, with incoming macro data topping consensus expectations by the biggest margin since the third quarter of 2020. Uh, and that's why she thinks we're out a 12. So what you're looking at here is the economic surprise index. And she thinks that's pointing to a big 8% earnings per share beat this quarter. Based on this historical relationship, she's tracking the economic surprise index versus the aggregate earnings per share beat for the for the overall market. And uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't line up perfectly, but it's interesting. So we're going to get JP Morgan, BlackRock, Delta, Pepsi, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, all in the last two days of this week. Which one are you looking the most forward to or most concerned about? Wait, which one's uh, JP Morgan? Uh, BlackRock. I always like to see what BlackRock's doing. Just to see what investors are up to. Delta just did their big investor day last week, and they gave guidance. I don't think there's
1: anything going on there. Remember we said, uh, I guess two weeks ago, the strongest stocks don't let you get in? Yeah. Have you seen Delta? Yeah, forget it. Straight up. Yeah, no shot. Keep waiting for a pullback.
0: You're not not getting it. All right. All right. uh,
1: uh, All right. I want to talk about Walmart, which is uh, turning itself into a tech giant. Here's a quote from a portfolio manager at Newburger Berman. Walmart has really separated itself from the omni-channel perspective without giving up an inch of ground on the value it offers consumers. It has future-proofed its business. Ooh, like it. I, I like, like that word. quote. Like that quote. Throw out this chart, please, jo- uh, Josh. Josh, did you know that Walmart has outperformed handily Amazon over the last five years? You know what? I would
0: have guessed this. I would have. I would have guessed this. Okay. Um, but this Why? is a big. This is a big outperformance. This is 96% versus 46% for Amazon over five years. That's pretty impressive.
1: They're flying drones now. Like they're delivering eggs with drones. What else do they have to
0: do to actually become a tech giant? They have to, they have to, they need a streaming TV service. Do they have one. Eh, it's coming. There, no, I'm is kidding. Is it Walmart TV? They so, need
1: a show, show with Jason Bateman. I, I know. That's
0: like part of the thing.
1: I know we, we've heard this stuff before. It's just mind blowing. that 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart store. Wait. 90% of the country oh, yeah, lives yeah, within yeah. 10 miles of a Walmart. So they've grown their e-commerce business 122% since 2020, reaching $53 billion of sales. It's 30% of, of the company's total. Uh, and here's here's a point that I want to make. Every company is going to, in some way, transform itself, or at least blur the lines between what is a tech company, especially yeah. especially with AI coming down the pike. Yeah good point i
0: guarantee you walmart outspends many of the companies that are considered tech stocks by the by uh, the the index committee i guarantee right like like if you just think about the logistics and what's what's required to do e-commerce at the scale that walmart's doing it um so it's it's they're all blurring and and they all have to use tech to deliver their to, to deliver what they deliver I think that's
1: uh, all right. Enough of that. I'm going to make the case for a company that is was one of the best performing stocks of the 2010s. Wait, Duncan,
0: saying I'm frozen. Am you I were frozen? frozen.
1: You were frozen, but it's okay. We got you back.
0: All right, I'm going to we close out. Back. I'm going to go ahead and close out a few tabs. All right. Josh,
1: go we're going to talk about uh, probably not probably a company you don't care for, but a category that is near and dear to your chest. We're talking about Domino's pizza. Mm. Let's let's run through some charts here, just to give you a little flavor of how big the p- global pizza industry is. So it's a hundred twenty billion dollar industry. QSR stands for quick service restaurant, so like Papa John's, Caesars, that sort of stuff, which actually dominates the market. It's like what's that? Two thirds.
0: Yeah, most people don't live within you know 50, 50 miles of, uh, of a of a decent pizza place, so this is what they have to rely on. Next chart, it.
1: please. So it's a, it's a wildly global company. Mm. Twice as many stores outside the United States as inside. There are dominoes all over the world. I didn't re- I mean, I knew that, but I didn't
0: realize to that extent there were 13,000 dominoes all crazy. over the world.
1: And in their investor presentation, there's tons of growth potential in emerging markets, China specifically. All right, next chart, please. Uh, they have a 22% market share. of total pizza, which is kind of wild. Again, I'm sorry, QSR pizza. Uh, And a 31% slice of the pie of delivery. How about that?
0: Yeah, it's a big deal. That's actually what they do. They do that better than, they do delivery better than anyone. Like the app, they're just, they're great at it.
1: Uh, Next chart, please. Uh, So this is estimate, this is uh, average US franchise store EBITDA. Uh, Next chart, please. We're just gonna run through these. Global store count exploding, growing at an annual 6.6% rate. Operating income also exploding. I didn't show earnings per share, but it's the same chart, Uh, actually, even more impressive. Um, And as I was saying, this being one of the best stocks of the 2010s, next chart, please. So Netflix outperformed it barely. We've got Domino's in orange, Apple up 1,000%, Microsoft at 550, Google up 330, and Domino's 4,000%. This stock's up 4,000% in how, how, what is this, this 15 years? This is 2010 to 2020. Okay. So I got an opportunity to get into the stock. It had just just you. (laughs) You got got an invitation to join the shareholders. I bought bought the stock two weeks ago. Uh, It had its largest drawdown of the last decade. Why? Uh, They had a 2020, I guess, a pandemic hangover. The comps were ridiculous. That's what I was going to say. The comps were ridiculous. Uh, uh, they missed top and bottom line. They guided lower and the stock got crushed. Uh, but I'm in it and this is not a trade. I am going to be a Domino's shareholder. So the
0: stock is in a 30, 40% drawdown. I agree with you. Like there was no way that 2022 was going to live up to 2020 and 2021 because people have choices again. And they're not sitting there at home ordering on their apps.
1: I feel like to me, pizza is like the luxury market only in the sense that it's up and to the right. Like this is right. there there are no bear markets for pizza. When was the last time you ate Domino's? Uh actually, funny you ask, I had it in Minnesota and it was horrendous. Really? <laughs> not only was it horrendous, but it was it took like two hours. But it was it was their playoff weekend. There was nothing open. Uh, but yeah, it sucked. The food it was not good.
0: So that's that sounds really <laughs> bullish. So so you're you're like the anti Peter Lynch. If you hate the product, you go along the stock.
1: No, I, I no, I had a bad experience, but I do like Domino's. I haven't had it in years, but I'm bullish. You know what? My, I'm an eater. My,
0: my kids grew up eating at some of the best pizzerias, in arguably in the world, and they still like Domino's. Like, it just, I I, I don't fully understand it. Or maybe what they like about it is the reliability. No, it's it just the like same com- every just time. Com-
1: it's comfort food. You know exactly what you're getting. It's always Yeah, there. that's what I mean. So All
0: right. I have a mystery chart for you, Mike. You want to play?
1: Let's do it.
0: All right. Please help Uh, me out
1: with the clues, John. Don't don't be stingy. Don't be stingy.
0: Okay, these are three different index ETFs, all of which represent the same country stock market. Which country are these ETFs? And by the way, these stocks are in the midst of a runaway rally. um, Close to close to the, the the index itself and the ETFs. Are are breaking out into a new 52-week high and getting close to an all-time high. Um, what country are these ETFs representing? I'm
1: aggressively cycling through countries. Oh wow, look at that. Are you
0: che- you're cheating?
1: I'm cheating. Italy and Spain look really good. It's, it's not-, not
0: Italy and Spain, because I don't even think there are three ETFs for those. No, countries. but this is
1: but this is not this is not the UK, is it? Is uh,
0: it? It is not. Wanna take one more guess?
1: Um I want you to
0: get it. I want you to get it. I want to get a two. It's, uh, been in the new- if-
1: it's been in the news lately. It's a country that's been in the news lately. A country that's been in – gosh, dang it. Hold on. Give me one second. The metaverse. Now, I don't know. What is it? All right. Well, I mean, we're on a, we're on a live all thing right, here.
0: All right. All right. You got me. It's not the metaverse. Okay. Uh, uh. Oh, you sound so disappointed. So these are three different ETFs that represent India. The, uh, the orange one is the iShares India 50. INDY. It's got about $600 million in it. And that's like the the top 50 stocks in India, basically. It's wow, almost like a triple Q's. Yeah, this looks amazing, right? Yeah. Um, the purple is the iShares MSCI India ETF, which covers the total market. And that has an AUM of about 5.13 billion. So that's like basically just buy the Indi- India stock market. The blue one which I am personally most interested in is the Wisdom Tree India Earnings ETF, and that's got about a billion bucks in it. It's been around forever. The sorry, I'm red
1: tra- flag. Sorry, uh, yellow yellow card. You can't say billion and bucks in the same sentence. Just go on.
0: A billion dollars in it, yeah. and uh, I like that because it's a smart beta, and the factor that they're selecting for is profitability. So it might miss the upside of like some Indian startup company or whatever goes public, like like of course, but these are companies that are profitable, earning money and being weighted based on how profitable they are or how fast they're growing profits or whatever. so that's the that's the wisdom tree way of doing it. And obviously, that's trailed because it's been a, a really great bull market, but it doesn't mean it'll trail forever. But um anyways, not a lot of my point is this. if you add up the AUM in those three, uh, in in those three ETFs, this is not an area that U.S investors have really gotten excited about. but did you know that according to Goldman Sachs, India will overtake the United States to become the world's second largest economy by 2075. What?
1: I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You know, it's- I give you, I give you <laughs> clues that are specific and you just say it's a country that's been in the news. All right. No,
0: it's been in the news because uh, Modi is feeling himself. Modi, Modi played both sides of the, um, the, of the Russia-Ukraine sir, conflict. Sir, I- I'm sorry, but nobody's asking for this. Okay, fine. Anyway, this is, uh, I think the second most populous country on earth, or maybe it's bigger than China now. It's got a roaring stock market. It's got a hot economy and it benefits from inflation falling because I think they are a net importer of commodities and oil. Most importantly, wonderful food, huge Indian Uh, food. I
1: never eat it, but I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm not that big on that. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry you couldn't guess. I did my best. You know what we need? We need a Domino's for Indian food. Uh, there might be like one of those, there might be one of those chains in the mall food court that's an Indian food chain. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. What's your favorite, what's your favorite Indian dish? I like the chicken. Which, which one?
1: <laughs> I like Pick it all. Mas-
0: masala. I like it all. That, I even like right. the Trader Joe's Indian food. All right. Hey guys. Dunk, we Duncan's wanna, playing us off. He's playing us off. All right. Hey guys, we want to say thank you so much for joining us here on the compound, uh, on the compound for another all new edition of what are your thoughts Make sure you like, make sure you favorite and subscribe and leave reviews and tell your friends. This week, all new Animal Spirits, tomorrow morning with Michael and Ben. Uh, Ben is doing an all new edition of Ask the Compound on Thursday, live on YouTube. So get your questions ready. And then at the end of the week, Another very special guest. We're very excited about this episode of The Compound and Friends. You will hear it Friday morning and see it on YouTube Friday afternoon. Thanks so much, guys. Everybody have a great night.
1: Good night.